Come on, magnify the Lord with me. Hallelujah. Yes, he's worthy. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. What a wonderful congregation here this morning. Hallelujah, I'm expecting great things. You may be seated this morning. Before I get into the sermon this morning, I want to make a little bit of an announcement. I was, uh, um, last week when I was preaching, I was in my series, I kept saying, next week, if the Lord willing, we're going we're gonna to get right back into a different part of our series. And I don't know why, but every time I'd start to say something, it always, if the Lord willing, if the Lord willing. And it dawned on me, well, this is the 4th of July. It's hard to start series in the summer because you deal with Mother's Day, you deal with Memorial Day, you deal with Labor Day, you deal with Father's Day, you deal with the 4th of July, different kinds of things. And every 4th of July, I've kind of committed to go over some of the history of our country. Some of you have heard some of the quotes that I'm going to be speaking because they're, they're history. You can't change them. That's the quotes are the quotes. And I tell you, our, our young people are not being taught like they, like I was taught in high school and, and in elementary and stuff about our great nation. They're rewriting history. And some of the things that they're teaching is just appalling to me, I'll tell you for sure. How many appreciate the grand old flag this morning? Amen. When I was a little boy, I used to probably take it for granted. I remember my dad one time walking out to my brother's car he always kind of looked it over, you know, to see what he's got in it and different things of that nature. And he looked in there and there was an American flag, a little bit battle torn. It was tore up a little bit at the end where the wind had raveled it up and he had it thrown in the back seat. And my dad walked up there and said, son, what are you doing with that flag? And he said, oh, I'm just carrying it around. We like the colors of it. And that's kind of a popular thing right now. And he said, you're not going to desecrate that flag. He said, what do you mean desecrated? I just got in the back seat. He said, I don't care. You're desecrating the flag of the United States of America. You're not going to do that. Then dad went into a little history about the importance of the reverence of the flag and how not to even let it touch the ground and how it's to be folded. And boy, I tell you, old Keith, he got under conviction over that, I guess. And that flag wasn't thrown around like a piece of carpet or like a blanket like, like they were using it for. When I was a little bitty boy, I'd be riding in the car and I'd look outside and I'd think, man, I'm special because... Um, Every June the 14th is Flag Day, and that's me and Steve Mears' birthday. We were born at the same time, same age. And every year I'd get up and think, man, every birthday they fly the American flag for me. <laughs> How vain that thinking was, amen. But I thank God for the grand old flag. Didn't Mark and Brother B.B. And, and, and all of them put a, and Grant, amen. Didn't they do a great job this morning, Amen. I want to say before I get started, it's so good to have Shepherd Fold with us here this morning. Give them men a great big hand of appreciation over there. We love you. We're just delighted to have you in the service with us today. And um, also, one of the things I just want to bring to your attention, there is a movie out. I've not seen the movie. I've never endorsed something that I haven't seen, but I'm going to endorse this because I've read a lot about it and I've heard people talk about it and different things. It's called The Cost of Freedom. And it's coming to our local theater from J July the 3rd, I think, through the 5th. And you, you can look it up. We need to support that, guys. It's a, it, it, you know, it, if Hollywood is plummeting because of all the trash they're putting on, and when something good comes out, we need to support it. Can we say amen? Go look and see the cost of freedom. 
It's through uh, July the 3rd through the 5th of this, and it's at our local theater. So um, look that up, and they got different timings. I had them, but I lost them, so you can get into that. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to two passages of Scripture. The book of Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34. We'll get into our series again a little later, but we're going to be talking about the 4th of July just a little bit here today. Uh, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but a sin is a reproach to any people. And then if you'll look in Psalms 33 and 12, the Bible tells us, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people of whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. May the Lord add his blessings to the preached word this morning. This coming Tuesday, we'll celebrate what is called Independence Day here in America. It's one of the greatest days that there is. When I was younger, I took it for granted because I really didn't understand it's important. I didn't understand exactly what all it meant. The older I get, the more patriotic I become and the more I come to understand why we have the freedoms that we have today. It all began 247 years ago when on July the 4th, 1776, 56 brave men signed the document known as the Declaration of Independence. How many is thankful for the Declaration of Independence? Amen. And while we all appreciate these men and we hold them to high esteem, yet most of America really do not understand or have any idea of what price that these men paid for the independence to live in a nation built, uh, in, built around the righteousness of God. Out of these 56 men, five were captured and tortured by the British before they died. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned to the ground and they lost everything that they had. Two lost their sons in war. One had two sons that was captured. Nine fought and died from wounds of hardship of war. Carter Baxton of Virginia, a wealthy planter and also a trader, saw his ship swept from the sea by the British Navy. And he actually sold his home to pay his debt and the man, they said, died in rags. Thomas McKean, who was so hounded by the British that he was forced to move his family almost constantly. He stayed on the run because they were out to kill him. He also served in Congress without pay. Isn't that a magnificent miracle? But he served in Congress without pay and he died in poverty. Thomas Nelson's home was seized by the British Army at the Battle of Yorktown and it was used as command post. And it was there that he urged General George Washington to open fire on his own home. His home was destroyed and Nelson died completely bankrupt. Folks, it is absolutely imperative that you and I revisit and review our nation's birth and history so that we can understand the true meaning of our text when it says righteousness exalts a nation. Listen to the voice of our founding fathers and hear their spiritual commitment and what they actually had to say. John Quincy Adams, who became president, said later in 1821 about the Declaration of Independence. This is what he said. From the time of the Declaration of Independence, the American people were bound by the laws of God and the laws of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which they all acknowledge as the root of their conduct, and we all came together to obey the word of God. In George Washington's farewell address to the nation, this is what George Washington, our first president, said. Do not let anyone claim tribute of American patriotism if they even attempt to remove religion from politics. Patrick Henry said, which is one of my favorite guys, it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists but by Christians, not on religion but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can you give the Lord praise for that? Amen. 
President Thomas Jefferson, in his address to Denbury Baptist, this is what he said. The First Amendment has created a wall of separation between the church and the state, but that wall is one-directional. It's a one-directional wall. It keeps the government from running the church, but it makes sure that the Christian principles will always stay within government. I've said this before, and it's one of my pet peeves, and I'm going to keep driving it into the hearts of young men and women, and that is the separation of church and state, never intended for the church to be taken out of government, but it was to keep the church being run by the government. Can I have an amen? Did you know that the order of our government is even patterned after the biblical principles? The framers of our nation got the idea of the branches of government from the very word of God. Remember, we have an executive branch, we have a legislative branch, and we have also a judicial branch. And look at Isaiah chapter 33, verse 22. For the Lord our judge, the Lord our lawgiver and the Lord our king, it is he who will save us. This is God's people putting confidence in God and protecting the church from their enemies. And notice the rule of law that actually governs the kingdom of God. God's government refers to those same aspects of our government. For the Lord our judge, that speaks of a judicial branch. For the Lord our lawgiver speaks of a legislative branch. And for the Lord our king speaks of an executive branch. God protects by judgment, God protects by law, and God protects by his sovereign power because he's king of kings and he's lord of lords. And all power is given to him in heaven and in earth. Can I have an amen? Our government, the way that we are to rule and govern, is patterned after the example of God's rule and reign. Our forefathers looked to the word of God for the wisdom needed to organize a government that would uphold righteousness. And if you were to go to Europe today, you would find that the churches are still subsidized by the state, which means they're controlled by the state. That's why they're stone cold dead, and they've allowed the gospel to almost become extinct in that nation and they have allowed the Muslim religion to take over many parts of Europe. And when the people in many of European nations pay their taxes, you know what happens? Part of their tax money goes to keep churches alive. And everybody says, oh, what a wonderful idea. That's one of the worst ideas that you can have. I want you to understand this. I want you to understand the founding fathers of our country said, that is wrong. And we do not need to start that, they said, because ever who funds the church will end up running the church. Are you listening to me? When I went to China, there were two types of churches. There was the underground church and there was what they called the governmental run churches. And in, especially in Hong Kong, they got strong churches where you can go and it looks like you have the freedom of worship. But with the parts of China, Beijing and all those other areas that we went to, we went and seen the underground church. And it was there underground that we seen signs and wonders and miracles and things that I don't have time to tell you everything that we've seen. Randy West was hit by the power of God and couldn't even speak for three solid days. We literally seen furniture as a little lady that couldn't read or write got up and began to preach the gospel. And as she began to preach the gospel, the furniture in the house it began to move across the room like in the book of Acts. And before it was all over, every single one of us was prostrate on the floor by the power of the Holy Spirit. It was under the, in that 
underground church that we see miracles, but that underground church paid a hefty price. They was those that were caught were thrown in prison. They were beaten. They were whipped by their government. Many of them were killed and stoned and shot. One man by the name of John spent 30 some years in prison and he took off his shirt and his back was nothing but big old pop, big old scar tissues where they had whipped him and they had beat him. And for 30 years, I think it was him that went out into the cesspools and they made him trop human waste in lagoons where they dumped their, 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 their human, the human waste. And he said, he said, they said, how did you take that? He said, I looked at it as my garden. He said, every day I would walk out there and I'd get in that cesspool and I would begin to tromp and tromp and tromp. And if I quit tromping, they would whip me and I, I would just stay out there. And he said, what gave me the strength was I began to sing and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. He began to sing that old gospel song. He said day after day I sung it. They got him out and guess what? He went strictly underground. They still looking for him and he was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ the day that we seen him. Hallelujah. And you know what folks I want to tell you. Everybody wants to think that all of that would be a wonderful thing if, if the taxes of America would go to the church. I'll tell you something that many of you may or may not know. It's, I, I not kept it a secret on, secret on purpose. It was just what the Lord directed. As you all know, when the PPP loans or whatever them were called or the stimulus has come out and you could sign up for it and if it was a business, churches were able to sign up for that. We, we immediately signed up and we found out that we were approved for $90,000. And boy, we, we were excited. And I was out of town when it all happened. And I was driving down the road and the Spirit of the Lord gripped my heart. And I said, oh, something's wrong. And I began to pray and the Lord said, why have you begun to, why did you look elsewhere for finances? Have I not taken care of you all these years? Have I not been your Lord God? Have I not been Jehovah Jireh, the Lord of a provider? Have I not took care of you at the pace that I wanted to take care of you? Why have you turned to such a such a place for help? And I began to feel uncomfortable about it. And so I called old Randy up and I said, Randy, I need you to help me to pray. I'm feeling uncomfortable about something. He said, well, me too. And I said, well, what are you uncomfortable about? He said, I don't feel right about taking that money. He said, the Lord's been dealing with me all morning. I said, it's a confirmation. I said, I want to tell you what. I want you to go in there and tell Terry to put a stop to it. We don't need the government's money. We're, we're, our supply comes from the kingdom of God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We even went before the council and even told them they were in agreement with us, but we tried to stop it, but Terry said it's too late. They've done deposited 90-some thousand dollars in our bank account. And so what we done, old Terry got on the phone and called them up and said, we're wanting to return the money. And said, why? You don't have to pay it back. And the woman just kept telling her, you don't have to pay it back. There's no strings. In I don't care. Our pastor and our council don't want, well, that don't make sense. He said, we've never had anybody call us and tell us this before. Said, we don't know. Well, I guess just send it back and, and to gave us an address to send, and we sent $90,000 back to them. That's how much conviction that I have. The Lord my God is my provider. The Lord my God is the God of this church. And I want to tell you what happened. The minute that we began to do that, our finances took a turn. The first few months, it went up 10%. And then it went up 20%. And then it went up 30%. And now we have more money in our bank account than we've ever had before. And God's doing mighty and wonderful things. Don't tell me that we have to trust in the government. We trust in the Lord our God who made heaven and earth. 
you give him praise? Can you give him praise? Hallelujah. Some in the natural mind said, you've lost it, but those of the spiritual mind understand something. They understand. You lose your life for his sake, you'll find it. Amen? So what did these, these forefathers do? They followed a biblical concept that was totally foreign to any government in the world. They said, we want to make the church separate from the government, and we want to keep the church exempt from taxation from the government. Where did they get that from? The Bible tells us in the book of Ezra, chapter 7, verse 24, you are also to know that you have no authority to impose taxes, tribute, or duty on any of the priests, Levites, singers, or servants, or other workers at the temple or in the house of God. Our forefathers discovered in the Bible, and they said, let's make this a part of our government. You and I should rejoice and magnify the Lord that the early fathers formed America, and our government is based upon the word of God. Can you be thankful for that here today? Give God praise. Give our forefathers praise. Credit and, and give them honor where honors do. Can I have an amen? Our forefathers understood and recognized righteousness exalts a nation. Our forefathers understood the word righteousness. You know what righteousness means? Right with God. It's time that the nation gets right with God. We're so far away from God. As a matter of fact, in our educational system, you know, we used to sing that song. Uh, um, um, uh, um, glory, glory, hallelujah. You remember that song? Well, now there's a new theme song out in the 21st century. Glory, glory, hallelujah. The teacher hit me with the ruler, so I met her at the door with a loaded 44, and we have no teacher anymore. That's where we're at. There's school shootings all over the place. There's things happening that's beyond our imagination. Why? Because we are a nation that's turning our back upon God, and the favor of God is lifting, and judgment's coming upon our nation. And the only hope of America is when men and women deal their knees at the, and bow their knee and their head and their hearts at the old rugged cross, and the blood of Jesus Christ washes them from their sin. Can I have an amen? They understood, our forefathers did, that righteousness was the catalyst to give birth to the nation for a people looking for freedom and liberty. There is no liberty or freedom outside of righteousness. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 3 and 17, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. This is one confusing passage of Scripture because it's a mistranslation in the King James Version. We know that the Spirit of the Lord is everywhere. He's omnipresent. There's not a place that you can go where the presence of God is not there. It was David that said, if I take the wings of the uttermost parts in the morning and I fly out in the midst of the sea, behold, thou art there. He said, he even went as far to say, if I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. There's nowhere to hide. There's nowhere to go. Everywhere you go, there's God. But everywhere you go, there's not liberty. And the Bible says, with the Spirit of the Lord, there is liberty. That is not what the literal translation says. The literal translation says this, where the Spirit is Lord, there is liberty. And there's a big difference. There's a big difference of the, where the Spirit of the Lord is at, there's liberty. That means there would be liberty everywhere because he's omnipresent. 
But wherever you and I make him Lord, there will be liberty. And this nation, when it started out, made Jesus Christ Lord. And there was liberty and there was favor. And if you go through the different wars that we have won and you've seen the different fights that we have come up against and you look at the obstacle and the chances of us winning those wars, they were almost zero to nothing. But God went before America. God went before our nation. And God made us victors over our enemies. Can you give the Lord praise for the victorious favor and anointing of the Holy Spirit? Oh, hallelujah. Our forefathers understood without righteousness, the nation would never stand because righteousness has to be the catalyst, the thing that goes before or in front of any movement to secure its longevity and the favor of God. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 6 and 33, that's why Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. If we would govern our lives the way our forefathers governed our nation and the earth, we would see the favor of God. Can I have an amen? If churches would seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, if our main goal was, okay, today, instead of me going out and doing all the human efforts and to do this and to do that and to do this, that, or the other, and, uh, and, uh, and then when I come home, if I have any time, I'll pray. If we would start out the day in prayer, if we would start out seeking his face, if we would start out saying, God, lead me, God, direct me, God, speak to me, come on, somebody. It was one of them earlier, earlier preachers. I think it was uh, uh, D.L. Moody, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. No, it was not D.L. Moody. It was one of them earlier ones. I'm trying to think of his name. But one of the first thing, he had an apprentice with him one morning, and they got bad words about how that some of the churches had been persecuted and how this, they burned some of them and all of that. And he was a circuit preacher, and he was riding from church to church to church. I'll, his name will come to me here in a little bit. But nevertheless, uh, the little... The little apprentice said, boy, we got to get going. We got to go. We got to get out there and say, no, son, that means that our hour of prayer in the morning needs to turn to two hours. We need to pray before we make a move. And let me tell you, that's where we need to get in America as a family. We need to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then everything will fall in its own place. It won't be done by human ingenuity. It won't be done by the manufacturing of the work of our own hands. It won't be done by our own grit. It won't be done by our own power. But it'll be done by the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Our forefathers understood that just as Christ paid the price for our liberty, that they too would also have to pay a price. There is no cost to salvation for you and I. It's free. Jesus paid that cross, that price. But there is a price to follow him. He told us to count the cost. And if any man don't deny himself and take up his cross and follow after me, he cannot be my disciple. There's a cost to our discipleship. And let me tell you, there's a cost even on this generation to preserve this nation. Can I have an amen? Liberty and freedom always demanded price. That's what the 4th of July is all about. We've recognized some of the people that's paid a hefty price. It's all about remembering the price that was paid for our freedom. I thank God for every Marine here. I thank God for everybody that was in the Army, the Navy. I thank God for those that was in the Coast Guards, those that, and all the different branches. I'll probably forget some of them, but I applaud every veteran here. If you'll give me another, uh, uh, just a few more moments, would you applaud all of the veterans one more time who fought for our freedoms? Amen. They deserve it. They paid a hefty price. (laughs) 
There are widows here because their husbands did not come back from war. There's some men that's got limps. There's some men that don't have limbs. There's some that's got health diseases and there's some that's got health problems due to the tragedy of war for them to fight for you and our, our freedom. It's all about remembering that price and what they've done for us. Our nation was first settled by people who came to these shores looking to express their religious faith. They weren't trying to get away from something as much as they were trying to find something. They were looking for the freedom to worship. We have that freedom here this morning. You and I have that freedom here this morning. Can we exercise that right and show that our forefathers that went to battle for us had not died in vain? Can you stand to your feet and can you begin to give God the highest praise that you can give him and that magnify the Lord. Oh, magnify the Lord, our God. He it is he that has made us. Rejoice in the Lord. Give him honor. Give him glory. Give him praise. Shout his name. Shout his name. Shout his name. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, never take this for granted. Never take our worship for granted. There was way too much of a high price paid for us to be here this morning. Oh, I want to cry when I see the tragedies of, more, of, of war and the tragedies of battles that we've seen across the nations. When the pilgrims came and landed on Plymouth Rock on the Mayflower, just as they landed, they joined together in what was called the Mayflower Compact. You heard me talk about this. It happened in 1620. These are the words of it. In the name of God, amen. In the name of God, amen, so be it. That's what they're saying. In the name of God, amen, having undertaken for the glory of God and for the advancement of the Christian faith, we do solemnly and mutually in the presence of God covet and combine ourselves together. Listen to what they said. They wrote, they came here for the glory of God, for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can you and I here this morning keep that legacy alive? Can you and I unite? Can we bind together? Can we covet with one another for the cause of the glory of God? Can we do that for the glory of God? That's what we're here for. Can I have an amen? In 1643, just about 23 years later, as more and more people came to the shores up in New England, they formed a confederation called the New England Confederation. The New England Confederation was the first written constitution of groups meeting together in 1643. The New England Confederation con Constitution began with these words. Listen to this. This will thrill you. Whereas we all came into these parts with one and the self-same end and aim, namely to advance the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ and to enjoy the liberties of the gospel in purity and in peace. When I read that, I'm telling you, chill bumps went up and down my spine. They were united together for a common goal, to number one, to worship God in holiness and hold to a gospel of purity, which would what? Bring about peace, and then they could advance the kingdom of our God. That was their whole idea, that if we will come together, we'll honor God, we'll live a standard of holiness before him and purity before him, it'll create peace, and that peace will advance the kingdom of our God. America was founded by men and women who acknowledged God's supreme rule over their lives. They were looking for his righteousness to exalt a nation. They didn't have their own agendas. 
They didn't have their own ideas. They didn't look at it to bring uh, uh, to their own advantages like we have today in our politicians. Come on, somebody. Don't let me get over on that or we'll be here for 24 hours. It makes me sick to see what happened. How would you like a, How would you like to see a congressman get up and say, hey, you don't have to pay me. I'm doing this for free like some of them old four farmers. They've done it for the nation. There's only one man in the history that I know of while I've been alive that's done that, and that's the 45th president of the United States, Donald Trump. He said, I am not taking a salary as the president of the United States of America. Oh, that was a weak applause. Whether you like him or not, you got to honor for what he's done. <laughs> Uh, I'm trying to get you out early, but I feel them doodads going up and down my spine. Woo! I'm telling you, I'm talking about our nation. I'm talking about where we're at. Just like you and I, we're not all perfect. They were not perfect. But they all acknowledged that God was the supreme ruler over man and over our government. They understood that they had to deny themselves. They understood that there was sacrifice. They understood Romans 12, 1 and 1, and two, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what's that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. They understood that this cannot be done by natural strength, by natural wisdom by the enlightenment of their own understandings. They knew they couldn't have their own acts to grind or their own agenda to push. They knew they couldn't do it for more lucrative financial money just to pad their pockets. They, had, they understood that if this nation was going to take off, it was going to take a sacrifice and to train up young men and women to embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ and to make him Lord, the supreme God over this nation. Can I have it? That's why every morning when they went to school, they bowed their hair head in prayer and they prayed unto God the Father above. That's why that they had uh, the Ten Commandments wrote and placed upon every uh, every school wall in America. That's why they pledged the allegiance and made us patriarchy to the flag. Come on somebody. And now that's all been thrown out the window. But I'm here to tell you those that's caused that confusion and those liberal minds and those natural minds that's attacked and the things of the spirit are foolish unto them. They can't understand them. And there, there are enemy to try to take away, I've got something to tell them. In my spirit, there is a spirit of patriotism arising in America. There's some young men and women and older men and women that's had a belly full. They've had enough, and they're not afraid to speak out any longer, and their voices are getting stronger, and people are getting bolder, and they're getting in the face of people and declaring, this saith the word of the Lord. Whether you like it or whether you don't like it is not the option. We are declaring declaring to you that God is the supreme judge. And I'm here to tell you that the flag is still flying, that God is still moving, things is changing, things is shifting. Get ready, America. We're on the verge of a revival. It feels good up here this morning. Huh. Hallelujah. The deck. Somebody better worship him right now. Give me a moment to get my bearings together. Woo. Hallelujah. 
The Declaration of Independence that was signed on July the 4th, 1776 says this. We hold these truths, say truths. Not hatred, it's the truth. To be self-evident that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain alienable rights that among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I don't have time to get into all of that, but notice they did not say happiness. They said the pursuit of happiness. You know why? Because our founding fathers were very, very wise. They acknowledged that the rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness only come from God. That's the only place you're going to find it. You can go out here and you can search the world all over. Solomon, go read the book of Ecclesiastics. One time God began to place the book of Ecclesiastics in my heart. And I began to read it and I, I thought God's going to give me a sermon out of this book. And I started reading it. And I was going through it pretty fast. And I got right up to the last chapter and the last few verses and I thought, man, he's not spoke to me. So I, I didn't quite finish that last chapter. I went all the way back to the book again. I started dissecting every word. I'd look at it and I'd look it up in the Hebrew and I'd look it up here and I'd think, man, yeah, 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 yeah. Now, there's a lot of messages there, don't get me wrong. It's talking about Solomon's life and how he went out and had all of the women, all of the wealth, all of the, all the, all of the pleasures of life, anything you'd ever want or dream of, he had it with the wealthiest man on the face of the world. And yet, everywhere he wrote, everything I've experienced, everything I've done, everything I've tried, everything that has went on in my life is all vanity, 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 vanity. He couldn't find any happiness. He couldn't find nothing to bring peace. He couldn't find anything to satisfy the hunger craving in his soul. Why? Because he was created by God to worship and he left that out. He did not make God number one of his life. Come on, somebody. And he gets right down to the last chapter and then God speaks to me. Here are the conclusions to the whole matter. He said, in other words, everything you've read through the book of Ecclesiastics, here are the conclusion to the whole matter of that book. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Why do we gotta make it so hard? All God wants is a people to return back to the fear of God. There's no fear of God in our country anymore. There's no fear of the Lord when I was a little boy. You know, I have a tendency to understand we've all said it. I've said it even, that if you base your faith on fear alone, then you're always going to have to stay afraid in order to serve God. Well, that's true to a certain extent. But I want to tell you, there is a healthy thing about fearing the Lord. When I was a young teenager and I got saved and the temptations had come my way, you know what kept me from sinning? I was afraid that I was going to get punished by God. You say, well, that ain't, that ain't real biblical. Yeah, it kept me in line. Come on, somebody, somebody with me here this morning? You know, there were some things I'd done for my daddy, not because I loved him, but because I feared him. In other words, you know, I love you, Dad, but I'm going to do this anyway. And he said, oh, go ahead, I'll wear you out. I tell you what, I was afraid of that five-foot-long belt that he would give me to the seat of my understanding. Everybody's talking about all these different things, how, you know, I can't concentrate because I got whatever it is, I, I can't pay attention because of this. I'm a little bit unruly because of this and we want to baby all that stuff. I want to tell you, my dad had a cure for all that. It wasn't a pill bottle. Come on, somebody. It wasn't pampering me. It wasn't trying, oh, the poor little feller can't help it. I want to tell you, he could get your attention real, real fast. 
and he'd take that little old leather strap out, and when he whipped you, he whipped you. My dad always told me, he said, son, when you raise your children, he said, don't be going around beating on them, spanking on them, and patting on them. He said, if you're going to whip them, whip them. And he said, and when you really whip them, guess what? You won't be whipping them much. And that's the truth. All my dad had to do to get my attention, he had an old blinded eye and it was crooked. And all he had to do, if I got out of line, he'd just roll them old eyes at me, that old eye. I'd think, woo, he's mad. And that means straighten up, boy, or you're going to get the belt. And you know what I've done? I straightened up. And there's something about fearing God. It sickens me to see all these shirts, no fear, no fear, no fear. I tell you, we need to fear the Lord with fear and trembling. Can I have it? We are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Amen. Oh, Lord, help me here. When we help, when the when when did the government? Let me let me stop right here. The promises, you know, that politicians make when they pander after your votes by saying, "Elect me, and everything's free." Free insurance, free daycare, free school paid off, free. The, how many seeing all that? You know, all that's doing. That's buying votes, but nothing's free. You're going to pay for it. Can I have an amen? Remember, nothing's free. It always costs somebody something. And also remember, every who holds the purse strings to your life, they rule you. It's called communism. It starts out in socialism and then ends up in communism. And then instead of having a president, you have a dictator. Then they tell you what to drive and where to work and how much money you're going to make. And come on, I know I went to a communist country. I've seen it. And let me tell you, there were more people riding bicycles and walking than you've ever seen in your life. And when you've seen how they lived, you thought, oh, my, I do not want to live in a, in a government-controlled controlled, uh, uh, country. Matter of fact, but go look and see where the emperors lived. Solid marble out on their decks uh, and their boats, uh, uh, docks, and solid ivory. And man, they had big mountains made with shrines on top of them of gold and of ivory. We've seen that. We went to one lake that was humongous, it was built by human slaves. And they done it with wheelbarrow and shovel. And that lake was, I forget how many miles long, how many miles wide, and how many feet deep. It was unbelievable. And there was an empress who had it built. And all of a sudden, they, they took that and they piled the dirt over to the right and they made a huge big mountain. That mountain is probably way up seven, 8,000 feet high in the sky. And all of a sudden, they had steps that went up all the way up to that top of that mountain. And up there, there was the gods that were created for the emperor to go up and worship. And that was all done by slave labor. And then people lived uh, in ragged old huts and they were stacked on top of one another. You, you ought to have seen what we've seen. And yet, we don't understand. That's where America's headed. They want a government to control you. Big government is not God's design for a nation. Come on, somebody ought to clap for that. Remember, ever who holds the purse strings, they'll rule you. And when did the government ever run anything right? Everything it touches is either corrupt or it goes bankrupt. Come on, somebody. We do not heed the government to, we do not need the government to rule and run us, the people, but we need the people to rule and run the government. This is why the next line says this. And not only are we, and we're to secure or to protect these rights, 
governments are instituted among men. In other words, what were they saying? We want to form a government whose job is to protect and to guard what the Creator has given to each and every one of us and to guard the Constitution of the United States of America that was patterned after sovereign rule. That's what the government's to do, is to protect that. It is to be a government by the people for the people. Say, by the people for the people. Can I have an amen? As you read the Declaration of Independence, you discover what follows the prelude about 15 to 16 charges against King George of Britain. And as they come to the final close, in the closing, they make two more references to God. They say, we therefore, the representatives of the United States of America and General Congress assembled, assembled appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intention. They were saying, we are appealing to you, England, declaring our independence. But we're also appealing mainly to the supreme judge of the world, God himself. In other words, they say, and we're giving you the chance to be our ally and to be our friend. But if not, so what? We're going to do what God tells us to do, and we're not afraid of you. Come on. Then the very last line of the Declaration of Independence is this. And for the support of this declaration, we, we affirm reliance on the protection of divine providence. In other words, they were saying we're not looking for any ally to help us. We're not needing anybody but God's divine protection and he'll protect us for what we're doing. When they were discussing and debating about the Declaration of Independence and how it should be written, there was a lot, a lot of disagreements as you can, you can probably understand with those different human personalities and the different thoughts and everything. And they begin to fight and they begin to mumble and they begin to grumble. Things begin to not look good and they'd hold and take a session of break and then they'd come back they would battle it, and they'd battle it, and it kept getting more intense. And finally, tempers began to rise up a little bit. That's human. And these were people that were searching in search for God. And sometimes there's tensions in churches. I've done routes, some of you, up here right now. Amen. It's okay. You'll get over it. You still got to love me. Amen. And then all of a sudden, Benjamin Franklin had the Spirit of the Lord move upon him where he had a great, brilliant idea that was placed there by God. He said, gentlemen, got their attention. If it is true that not one single petal from any flower falls to the ground without escaping God's attention, will the distress of this nation go unheeded? Let us therefore determine to seek his face. At, when he got done with that, at his suggestion, all 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence fell to their, put their faces to the ground and bowed their knee as one man and began to pray and seek for the wisdom of God. Every one of them. Why? Because they were a people that had the nation in mind and they were a people for the people. Wouldn't it be wonderful today if our Congress would go to their knees in prayer? Wouldn't it be good if Democrats and Republicans and independents could join hands and say, we're in a disagreement. We've got to find God's will over this matter. Let's seek his face and not get up until he answers. Amen? Wouldn't it be wonderful today if the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals and every other court, including the Supreme Court, would just get on their knees like our forefathers did and say, Lord, Almighty God, what is it that you want for this nation? What is the correct judgment in this matter? Come on, all of us that call ourselves Americans, 
It's our solemn duty to do the exact same things that our forefathers done, and we're not doing it. We want to criticize the world, but folks, we're not taking that kind of a stance in the church. In 1963, the Supreme Court first took away prayer in school. The church remained silent, and we allowed it to happen. The next ruling removed the Bible readings from our classrooms. Guess what happened? Just in the recent years, in my age group, they took in the Ten Commandments from off the walls of all schools and public buildings. My kids go to school and they've never seen the Ten Commandments on a wall. I went there and I, I remember seeing them. I remember placing my hand over my heart and playing a prayer. I remember praying. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not that ancient, but I want to tell you, in my lifetime, those things were a part of the schools and they're no longer they have pulled the manger scenes and Christmas trees and anything that refers to Christ whatsoever at Christmas time from off of public buildings. They have ruled that students cannot pray at graduations. And yet in defilement this year for the first time, children all over the place is getting up and praying and thinking, bring it on. They're ready to hear their voice be made known. They've tore down crosses and made it illegal. A lot of places on government property across our nation took, a, took crosses off just because it represented Christ. The court ruled that there's a certain segment of our society that does not have any equal rights, the unborn. There are millions of abortions every year and the body of the parts of those babies are being sold on the black market and that's been happening for a long time. But we're seeing a shift. We're seeing a turnaround. Things are about to happen. Come on, somebody ought to praise God for that. I'm going to make some of you mad, but I'm going to say what's on my heart. The Congress just a few years ago when the liberals were in the majority, they were the ones. Be mad at me if you want, but I'm just telling you what happened. It was the liberals that passed that so help me God be pulled from the oath to public office. You get up to make an oath now, so help me God's no longer there because they pulled it. A young woman that wrote a term paper on the life of Jesus in her assignment. The assignment was write about the man that I admire the most. People got up and wrote about their father and their grandfather and, and their neighbor and their brother and the, the, you know their president and all this kind of stuff. But this little girl, she uh, wrote a paper about Jesus she was given an F because her teacher said it was unacceptable in the public schools. It went to court, and guess what happened? The court ruled in the favor of the school. God help America. They're trying to get where the Pledge of Allegiance is considered unconstitutional, but thank God we got enough conservatives in there to fight that it stop it. And they're doing it because of the words, one nation under God, they, wanted, they said that's unconstitutional to put that there. They're trying to pull the words in God we trust from off of our money, and now they're making crip money to try to replace it so that in God we trust can disappear. Guys, this is serious stuff. Anything that has God's image to it whatsoever, they're trying to abolish it and get rid of it. Church America needs you. They need me. Church America needs God. Will you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? With me here this morning just for a few, I know it's the 4th of July and I've tried to preach we still we ain't even noon yet. And I want to tell you what we need to do is we need to make a public stand here today that we are united together. We have come together. Just like our forefathers. 
and we've made up our mind that we've come together for a common goal and a common cause. And that is number one, to glorify God. Put him first in everything that we do in all of our endeavors in our lifehood. And then seek him and live out a life of purity and then we can advance the kingdom of God and bring peace and favor to our nation. Can I have an amen? I want you to stand with me this morning. If you're with me here this morning, I'm not going to hold you long, I promise. If you'll make a commitment, Pastor, we're with you. We're going to unite together. We're going to have revival in Popper. You know what? If we just start it here, it'll be a catalyst. Then it'll go all over the nation. We can affect our world. We can affect our nation. Folks, we can move mountains. If 56 brave men, the framers of the Constitution of the United States, can humble themselves and come together and frame something so powerful as they did, then why can't we get together and make a difference in our generation? As Ruth in the book of Ruth declares, for you were born for such a time as this. You're not born in a different era, a different time. You're born in the time that you were born because of divine providence. God has a work for you to do. He knows the very places in which we're to be live. He knows the very place. He knows my address. He placed me there on purpose. My wife does not like some of the statements I have to say sometimes. But I've said it, and I'll tell you what I've said, and I've learned to change my mind a little bit. I told my wife for, for several years, I said, you know, if it wasn't for the church, I'd be out of here. And she said, what do you mean? I said, I love the people so much. I said, I love the church so much. I said, man, it's the only thing that keeps me going. But I said, Forest Popper Bluff, I think I can find better places to live. And boy, she'd chew me out. <laughs> You're the preacher of this city and you don't like to, man, she wouldn't let me have it. And we've had that conversation several times. I said, well, I like the, man, I like the mountains and I like this and I like that. And she said, Kit Miller. Man, she'd start in again and she'd start preaching me a sermon. I'm here by divine appointment. I'm not here because I choose to be here. I'm not here. I made a choice. I had to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. But the ultimate choice is his. In other words, you don't always get what you always want. You get placed where God wants you, and then you flourish there, and you find peace. And God advances his kingdom on the behalf of your sacrifice. Some of you are going through things you don't like. Get over it. God's got you where he's got you. All things work together for the good of them that love the Lord and to them who are they called according to his purpose. And every time a tragedy or something that you don't like or a hardship or something you don't like, you begin to gripe about it, you're gripping against the will of God because all things in your life as a believer work to your good. There's no sense in fretting and fighting and worrying. Come unto me, all you the heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and lonely in heart. You shall find rest in your souls, for my yoke is easy. My burden's light. Take on the commandments of God. They're not grievous. Preaching okay this morning? I'm asking you. I feel it in my spirit. Three different people in the last few months that's come and preached here said, man, I don't know what's going on in your church. But he said, I'm telling you, I felt a shift today. 
The last one that said that was Tom Gillum who done my pastor's appreciation. He's a very godly man, a very prayerful man. One of the best disciplinarial mans you'll ever meet in your life. He's so disciplined, self-disciplined. It's unbelievable. I get around him and I get convicted watching his disciplines. It's unbelievable the way he lives, the way he conducts himself. And he told me that when he was here, he said, I know that we were here for pastor's appreciation. I tried to do my best to honor you and to honor God because I know the way you want pastor's appreciation is honor God because that's who you are. And I said, yes, sir. He said, but Ken, I want to tell you by the spirit of the Lord, when I was preaching, there was a shift beginning to, that's been in, taking place in your congregation. And that shift is leading you to something mighty. And I'm here to tell you right now that there is a shift going on. It's going to take courage. As a pastor, just getting up here and mentioning the word liberal, some people identify as liberal, some conservative, some, but the type of liberal in which I use that word, you know exactly who I was referring to. I take a chance. I take a chance of fallout because that, that offended me. Well, if that offended you, look at truth. Look at truth and let truth govern you. Every one of us is going to have to make sacrifices. We're going to have to retrain our thinking. We're going to have to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ against every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. We're going to have to get serious about our walk with God. Mark used the word that we're going to be using in my series. And I thought, man, that would have went right good this morning. And to be honest with you, I didn't preach the series because I've been devoted to continually preach this kind of stuff. I'm going to repeat it every year on 4th of July. And some of you are going to hear, I'll go a different direction next year, but I have some of the same quotes because I can't change history. I want our children to hear this stuff. I want them to get embedded in them. But Mark in his drama used the word separatist as the criticism and the persecution. They separated themselves for the common go until the church separates herself for the common go of God. We're not going to have the revival that we desire to reach our nation. And our nation's going to hell in a handbasket. Our loved ones are lost. There's more fighting. There's more feuding. There's more division than we've ever seen in the history of our nation since the Civil War. Democrats cannot get along with Republicans. Republicans can't get along with Democrats. Independents are caught in the middle, and they don't know what to believe or who to believe, and they're, and they're just a mess everywhere you turn. Things is accelerating in the last days like never before, but I'm here to tell you, that the palace of praise, I'm not worried about what any other church is doing. I pray for them. I want them to excel. I want them to do good. But I'm here to tell you we have a mandate to be real. You, people are looking for realness. Are you listening to me? They're looking for genuine Christians that have separated themselves for the purpose of glorifying God, serving Him in purity, and living out a life of peace and also to advance the kingdom of God. If that is your sole desire, I'm going to be like Benjamin Franklin. Can you not come up here and stand in covenant with me? Just come, crowd in. Some of you come on stage. I want to get as many as we can down here. <laughs>